welcome to the NK News Podcast, recorded in Seoul on Friday the 13th of March 2020. Our lucky guest today is Rob Lawler. Rob is English editor at Daily NK and its parent organization, the Unification Media Group. Robert Lawler manages the translation of English articles and other language content for Daily NK's English page. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. Even though we are both in Korea, we're doing this interview via Skype because of the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, which will be our main topic of conversation today. So I hope your uh, uh, your microphone is or your speakers are covered uh, so that no uh, virus will come through to you, Rob. <laughs> so, Rob, you're the first guest on the show from Daily NK and the Unification Media Group. So let's start by telling our listeners what the UMG is. UMG is the, the head of a consortium of several organizations, including Daily NK, Radio Free Joseon, and Open North Korea Radio. So UMG's main focus is on providing North Koreans with open access to information. And the organization, and, well, all of these organizations, but mainly UMG, broadcast radio content up to North Korea on a daily basis. Uh, they do the work similar to Radio Free Asia, RFA, and other organizations that aim to kind of break the information blockade set up by the North Korean government. Um, UMG and its umbrella organizations are funded from grants from the U.S. government and other sources in South Korea and abroad. Okay, and Daily NK, though, uh, focuses on uh, educating people outside of North Korea about what's going on inside. North Korea, is that correct? Well, Daily K, yeah. Well, it's it, the English page definitely is. Okay, you're saying that the Korean page serves kind of two functions then? Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, Daily K being part of that consortium, a lot of the, the articles are actually placed into UMG broadcasts that go into North Korea. And so you could you could say that, you know, the articles are, are in a sense, uh, you know, written to, you know, both educate people in South Korea, but also in North Korea. And then obviously daily his English page is, is, is kind of the, the international output for the organization. Okay, and do you do mainly work for uh, Daily NK? Yeah, so I, I manage the Daily NK's English page, although I do help out with various translation duties that come up within the consortium. You know, we aren't able to put up all the articles published on Daily NK in English, but most of the articles that do go up are those based on sources in North Korea and China. And so I, along with another translator, put up the bulk of the content. Typically, there's, there's a bit of a time lag. Many of Dale and K's most avid readers probably have noticed. We we do have volunteers occasionally do translation for us, and we're always looking for more. And you know, much of the articles that don't get into English during a given week are put into our weekly newsletter. Okay, well, uh, since you've just mentioned the call for volunteers, where should volunteers write to if they want to help translate Korean language material into English? Well, they can go to to our website. We have kind of a blurb, you know, about translating for Daily and K. You just shoot us an email, and we'll we'll get back to them. Okay, so just find it on the website then. Yep. All right. So a, a ballpark figure here. How much of Daily and K's Korean language output does eventually get translated into English? Well, we put up, you know, two articles. We, we, we translate two articles a day, so we're putting up about ten to ten articles a week. That's probably less than fifty percent of what goes up there. Okay, so is there? Um, how do you choose which ones go up in English? Well, I mean, we we base it really off of what's newsworthy, of course. Yeah. But also whether they're based on sources in North Korea or China, and, you know, some Daily K articles they, they may be, you know, they might have 
focus more on defector testimony, or they may sometimes just summarize other stories that have already been reported on by other organizations. So we really try to focus our translation resources on, uh, you know, the articles that, that will hopefully get the most traction in the international yeah. media. And now you're also responsible, Rob, for putting out the uh, weekly briefing. Tell us what goes into that. Yeah, so the newsletter, you mentioned, we just started going put, putting out this year, and it provides a weekly breakdown of what went up on the English site, along with brief summaries of articles that didn't make it into English. We also have a section devoted to you know providing brief summaries of stories from around the web, mainly from the likes of RFA and VOA's uh, Korean service uh, that, that didn't get into English. And, and it's also easy to sign up to, to the newsletter. Um, all you need to do is visit our website and put your email in it. That's dailynk.com slash English. All right. So today we're focusing on COVID-19, the virus. Uh, in South Korea, the government has been very fast to act and very transparent in its counting of patients and deaths. And this cannot be said uh, of all countries around the world. Uh, and Daily NK, like NK News, relies upon sources that must, for obvious reasons, remain secret and undisclosed. But clearly some information from within North Korea leaks out. And before we start talking about that kind of information, what do we know through official channels? What has the North Korean government stated publicly about COVID-19? Yeah, so I mean, essentially, in a nutshell, North Korea has denied that it, it suffered from any deaths from, from coronavirus. And it's a, a stance that it's taken in the past when faced with contagious diseases such as SARS, blood, and much more recently, African swine fever, where were really denied the extent of, of the outbreak. You know, from early on, the, the, the country's media reported on the spread of the coronavirus in China and abroad, you know, but this hasn't led to an admission that the virus is actually really spreading in North Korea. The, the country's officials have publicly spoken about setting up quarantines of people who are considered, quote unquote, at risk. You know, for example, in February, Minju Joseon, one arm of the, of the state media, did admit that, you know, suspected coronavirus infections appeared and that they have been placed into quarantine medical facilities. You know, more recently, North Korea announced that some of these people who had been placed in quarantine early February have now been released. Yeah. The North Korean officials have had concerns about the spread of the disease in the country and have been taking measures to isolate people. They think maybe carriers of the disease, including of course those who you know have recently come home from abroad or those who had contact with those coming home from abroad. But you know, as of now, the main sticking point perhaps is that you know North Korea has not confirmed that any infections have occurred in the country. Um, something you know many observers, as you as you all know, say you know is ridiculous. So no confirmed infections and no confirmed deaths, uh, according to um, North Korean official statistics. Uh, now, for our listeners, um, as of midnight, the twelfth of March, the total number of confirmed cases in South Korea, according to the Korean government Center for Disease Control were 7,869, which was up 114 from the day before, with 66 deaths and 333 cases of people discharged from isolation. So that's either, well, they've recovered from the virus. So by the time this podcast is released on Tuesday, March 17th, uh, five days later, those numbers are bound to be higher. But we have seen uh, the growth trend slowing uh, in South Korea uh, in, to the point that now it's been overtaken by Italy as the uh, uh, the nation with second largest number of infections. All right, what about the uh, the World Health Organization? What's it saying about the coronavirus in North Korea? 
the, the WHO bases its numbers of infections on data, you know, essentially gleaned from the from the North Korean government. You know, essentially it's a situation where the WHO must be notified by North Korea in order to announce that there are any infections. And, and that's just the reality. Given that situation, it's really not surprising that the, the executive director of the WHO recently told reporters at a press conference that, you know, they, they, they'd been in touch with North Korea about the coronavirus outbreak. They, you know, quote unquote, weren't aware of any cases at that time. Uh-huh. Okay, so uh, so really the WHO is, is no, um, yeah, those statistics are the same as what the North Korean government gives it. Essentially. Yeah. All right, so um, what special measures then? You mentioned that there, there was some quarantine. What do we know about the uh, the quarantine measures that were put in place by the North Koreans? Yeah, so broadly speaking, I mean, North Korea, of course, shut down its border with China in late January. That, you know, was and continues to remain a major deal considering North Korea has on, on China economically. We do know from reports in the country that you know, the government has severely restricted movement across certain boundaries inside the country, including and particularly across provinces. Multiple sources, you know, daily, daily case sources, have confirmed that certain cities on the Sino-North Korean border, including uh, Shiniju, across from Dandong, have been on lockdown for some time now, ostensibly because of the proximity of the border with China and the heightened threat of potential carriers of the virus going through those cities and, of course, into other parts of the country, particularly the capital, Pyongyang. Right. Uh, so, uh, according to a story on the front page of Daily NK's English site yesterday, uh, sources in Ryanggang province have confirmed uh, the North Korean state media reports that some of the North Koreans quarantined in early February had been released. Do we know anything about uh, the conditions of quarantine? Are, are they special facilities? Are they just being kept under house arrest? Yeah. So, so, as you said, according to the newspaper, there were around, I think, a thousand individuals released from isolation in Kangwon province and other almost 3,000 individuals released in, in the Chagang province. Daily case sources have more or less confirmed that those releases have taken place and are probably happening in other parts of the country as well. You know, the source in, in Rangang province confirmed, for example, that people have been released from the quarantine. But um, as far as we know about quarantine periods and the facilities, you know, based on North Korean state media reports, the quarantine period appears to be upwards of 40 days or more, but at least a month. Many of those who were released recently had been quarantined for 40 days, at least according to state media again. North Koreans appear to be quarantined inside their homes or, or even appears their offices. And these quarantine periods can stretch 30 days as well. Daily case sources have reported that in general, those under close medical observation have been placed in isolation state-run hotels or, or resorts. But in the Sino-North Korean border region, where obviously the threat of infection is higher, uh, you know, North Koreans under close medical observation have been generally quarantined at home. That's that's according to daily case sourcing. Well, I'm just going to say, if those um, those periods are quite long, 30 to 40 days, unless you've got somebody bringing food to your home or office, uh, it, the situation is going to get pretty dire after a while. I can only assume. I mean, a lot of the report, at least from what I've seen, hasn't gone into a lot of depth yeah. about that particular issue. We do know that, you know, the home quarantine seem to be slightly less formal affairs. The, the authorities essentially are going around sticking up quarantine, uh, you know, signs that say quarantine on front doors uh, and the like. And, and sources, though, have said that patrols, um, you know, local patrols will go around, they'll pick up people they suspect of having removed quarantine signs and bring them to the local police stations for questioning. So it's, it's, it's hard to tell at this point because we're really getting kind of piecemeal and piecemeal information. 
Uh, now, we've also seen reports, Rob, that uh, any, Kore any North Korean working for a foreign government or foreign organization had to uh, be quarantined inside the office of that uh, foreign embassy or organization and basically were, were locked uh, as prisoners inside the foreign compound. Uh, can you tell us anything about that? Well, I mean, we haven't uh, specifically reported on on that issue in terms of foreign diplomats. I mean, the only real report that that we've done was 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 back in early February, um, a report that North Korea had decided to temporarily deport diplomats for sus suspicious symptoms. But I mean, I, I would assume that you know, locking people up, quarantining them in their offices and such is not so different not so different from what what North Korea has done with its own people. So it's it's not surprising. Mm. Now we've seen reports most recently recently that uh, uh, some embassies have closed their offices in Pyongyang and recalled their staff back to the home countries. Uh, do you expect that this will have any knock-on effects in North Korea? Yeah, so I think, you know, you know, the fact is that, you know, Pyongyang, you know, is is the crown jewel of the North Korean state, needs to be protected. And, you know, I think more or less they're, they're just trying to, to, to prevent any potential outbreak. So I'm, I'm not surprised to, to hear that. As far as effects... I mean, from what I've heard, it, because there's been a, a quite a, a good deal of reporting on this, and I think NK News has, has, has covered this quite a bit. But the, I suspect most most of, of those aid programs have have had to stop. As far as we know, is the World Health Organization still active in North Korea? Are there still people on the ground? Well, up until I think I saw a report in February. I mean, it's a bit dated. That yeah, there is the, there's an office there that the people are still working, but mm. uh, I, I I can't tell you. Okay, uh, how well equipped do we imagine the uh, uh, the North Korean medical system to be uh, to deal with a potential outbreak of COVID nineteen within its borders? Yeah, so North Korea's poor, you know, medical infrastructure has long been a kind of a sore point for for the country. I mean, Daily NK cited a report written back in 2018 that really pointed out North Korea's medical, the fact that you know North Korea's medical system collapsed in the mid 1990s due to the country's economic difficulties, and the regime has since failed to really rebuild its medical infrastructure. And particularly, you know, hospitals are in such poor shape that they often lack, you know, disinfectant and anesthesia, that sort of thing. You know, immediately, you know, under Kim Jong-un, North Korea has made some effort to at least outwardly, you know, modernize its medical infrastructure by expanding, you know, specialized uh, medical facilities, and has even introduced what they, what they call long-distance medical system which is, I guess, similar to a remote medical service. Mm. Most of the country's provincial hospitals are dilapidated. And, you know, the, the, the regime's efforts to modernize its medical infrastructure have, you know, according to the reports, been really nothing more than superficial and limited to Pyongyang and other major cities. Obviously, given the state of the hospitals, patients you, you would expect might be susceptible to various infectious diseases during their stays. But perhaps one of the biggest concerns is the lack of trust people seem to have towards their own medical system in the country. I mean, many North Koreans reportedly, you know, prefer to purchase drugs from local markets and self-medicate or head to, to private and very much uh, likely unlicensed doctors for diagnosis rather than going to their local hospitals for treatment. And North Korea has obviously gone through, uh, still has a, is a, a pretty major tuber tuberculosis kind of uh, situation going on, which, you know, has, has led to a great deal of, of aid programs from abroad, having, having a, you know, getting started in the country. And so it's, it's not a, a great situation, I think, medically. Mm. Now, according to another story last week on Danny and Kay, North Korea had threatened the use of weapons to control the border with China. 
uh, and it was unhappy with Chinese efforts at keeping that border closed. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that story was focused on North Korean officialdom's frustration with how the Chinese have been managing their side of the border. So reportedly, you know, regular Chinese people or just farmers you know, have been allowed to walk or, or have their animals allowed to graze near the North Korean-China border. And this seemed to have particularly incense the North Koreans because of fears over the spread of the coronavirus uh, you know, originally through an animal. And although that's, of course, a speculation. In short, I mean, the, the North Koreans sent a message over to the Chinese border officials to tell them to do a better job. And the message included what could have been uh, read as a threat to, to use weapons to control the border. And the threat was probably just used to, you know, as, as a way to get the Chinese authorities' attention. North Korean authorities would, as they have in the past, probably just go weapons-free when it involves North Korean citizens. It's, it's somewhat unlikely to think that they would do that against the Chinese. Right. Do we have any uh, knowledge about uh, how China responded to that? Uh, bits and pieces. I mean, North Korea, I mean, unilaterally closed its border with China in late January, which appears not to have made the Chinese particularly happy. I mean, you can contrast it with the to- you contrast kind of the total closure of the Sino-North Korean border with the the partial closures that uh, partial closure that happened with China and Vietnam, for example. You know, at least based on daily and K reports, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the Chinese responded to North Korea's complaint by agreeing that you know, quote unquote, joint efforts are needed. To improve the, the situation. They did, they did make it clear, the Chinese did make it clear that they're absolutely opposed to the use of weapons on the border. So it did, the North Korean attempt to get Chinese uh, attention seemed to have had, a, had its effect. Okay. The, the border between China and North Korea has notoriously been a porous one for many years with the smuggling of goods and people uh, you know, over the river and uh, uh, bribes being uh, paid to guards, etc., that kind of thing. Uh, I have heard one analyst say that now that North Korea is closing the border from its side, that it's almost like a natural test case to see what it would look like if sanctions that are supposed to be put in place were actually being enforced. Yeah, that that makes sense. But the reality, I think, is that smuggling appears to be continuing this very day. Dale and Kay just put out an article today that suggests the state is still bringing in needed supplies for fighting an outbreak or at least containing it over the Chinese border. What's interesting, however, is that the you know, North Korean state is seemingly focused on ending smuggling by private parties or individuals, some more kind of small-scale stuff, uh, but has continued to conduct we, – we call it smuggling, but it's really you know, state run agencies or companies involved in just this, this trade over the border. And, and uh, now including masks, am I correct? Yes, so face masks and other items related to disease control. Mm. Now, Daddy and Kay also carried a, a shocking story that almost 200 soldiers had died of symptoms similar to those caused by COVID-19. Apparently, the number of corpses had grown so large that military authorities had dispensed with cremation in favor of simply disinfecting the dead bodies. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Rob? Yeah, I mean, that's really the crux of the report, actually. So almost 200 soldiers, you know, died during periods stretching from January to February, according to this report. Um, to be clear, this number is based off of a report, report seen by a military source, Daily K military source in, in North Korea. The figure may indeed, you know, include those who have died of things outside of the coronavirus, although their inclusion in the list means that the symptoms they suffered were, were, were similar to coronavirus infection. The North Korean military has reportedly told military hospitals to refrain from cremating uh, corpses, and which has actually been somewhat of a government policy. 
Wait, sorry, cremation is a government policy or refraining from cremation is a government policy? Well, I mean, cremating corpses has been somewhat somewhat of a, a government policy. Because you'd think that would be the best way to uh, to eliminate the risk of disease, right? Uh... Exactly, and, and you're right. And that's that's the, the direction that North Korea has, has seemingly taken. Uh, but in this particular case, the source said that the just the, the sheer number of the sheer number of the corpses would have made it a headache for the medical staff. Um, and so you, you could probably expect there's a, the lack of resources, the, the military, um, you know, maybe faced with a, a, a bigger outbreak that's been reported. We, we just don't know. Maybe the processes involving cremation uh, may be something that they just can't handle right now. Now, it's interesting that these numbers, these 200 or so people who died were, were all soldiers, are soldiers more at risk than average civilians? Well, that could be the case. Uh, it's hard to know exactly. So North Korea's military has long been in bad shape itself. And, and soldiers, despite you know being one of the more well-fed and, and taken care of groups in North Korea, you know, still suffer from malnutrition and probably less inadequate medical care. The military obviously suffers from food shortages. I mean, one hallmark of Daily NK reporting, I think, has been pointing out the widespread uh, tilling of farms by soldiers near their bases. It suggests that soldiers are literally having to supplement uh, their rations with with stuff that they grow themselves. And soldiers are also involved in many important construction projects throughout the country and still continue to be. I mean, the Wonsan uh, Karma Coastal uh, Tourist Zone is one example. And, you know, having the gathering uh, at these construction sites is probably not the best thing for them right now. Now, of course, one factor potentially mitigating against these uh, deaths of soldiers being from uh, caused by the coronavirus is that uh, uh, most of the time the people who die from the virus are aged, you know, well above 60, uh, whereas soldiers would normally be men in their 20s and 30s. That, that's very rational to think that way. And I think that with with the information we have, we really can't judge who died. Where it, well, Obviously, most of the, the soldiers, as the report stated, died near the, the Chinese border, which, you know, makes sense. But that you bring up a good point. Yeah. Well, moving on to another story, what is this uh, I read about an increased risk of mass defections or feared risk of mass defections of North Korean workers in China because of workplace closures caused by the virus? Yeah, that was based off a report from a source in China who suggested that, you know, essentially restaurant and factory workers hold up in their residences and dormitories uh, may try to make a run for it, essentially to uh, escape their circumstances. And, you know, the background of that is that they're, they, they're not really getting paid because of the shutdown of factories um, and restaurants in China and, and are, are suffering. And this, this creates a, an atmosphere where they may decide just to to bolt for it instead of trying to 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 to, to endure it. Now you say they're not getting paid. Isn't that uh, just basically an enforced vacation? I mean, what's so bad about that? But the the problem is is that they they are from from what we're hearing essentially confined to their quarters and they're not allowed to even leave the the, the premises. So, for example, factory workers they tend to live uh, pretty much exclusively within these factory complexes. And um, they are allowed at t to come out of those complexes at certain times under, uh, you know, surveillance. Um, but even those privileges now to even leave the complexes have, have reportedly been taken, you know, been, been taken away. But aren't there also uh, fees that they're supposed to pay? A loyalty fee? Yeah, Tell us so a bit about that. Exactly. 
So, I mean, the, the loyalty fees, those are essentially contributions taken from workers' wages and, and sent to the regime in, in North Korea. There's a certain percentage taken out from each month's uh, salary. And ultimately, the, the lack of wages has made it difficult for party officials looking after the workers to collect much of these fees. And you know, the problem is, is that the, the, the party in, in Pyongyang is still demanding that the fees – uh, need to be paid no matter what. And so um, they're kind of in a crunch right now. Okay, so even if they're not working, they're still supposed to pay this money. Now, aren't these workers supposed to have been sent back from overseas by December last year under UN sanctions? Why are there still workers in China at all? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, you know, Daily K has reported on a trickling of North Koreans heading back to China. Um, that was at least until the coronavirus outbreak really got serious in January. As far as is why they're going back or just stayed or simply just stayed in China after the deadline. Um, you know, I think really comes down to foreign currency earning on the part of the uh, part of the North Korean government. One thing that sometimes gets, gets ignored is the need for uh, labor in China and, you know, Chinese factories and even Chinese uh, government officials in provinces across the border from North Korea, you know, actively, you know, they actively support the the coming of of North Korean uh, laborers to to work in factories because you know again you know that part of of China is 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 developing fast. There's 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 a lot of things going on there in terms of manufacturing and such, and they need as much labor as possible. Now, what effects is the virus having on uh, well, not the virus itself, but what effect is the outbreak of the virus having on markets uh, and state price of staples like rice, oil, and so on within North Korea? So it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned kind of you mentioned experts said something similar to this earlier, but the, the coronavirus epidemic has perhaps done what countless international sanctions have failed to do. And, and you know, despite years of sanctions, commodity prices have generally remained stable. I mean, at least to you know statistics. Uh, from from Daily K and others, but the shutdown of the Sino North Korea border has led to the rise of commodity prices, particularly rice. Uh, the, the increase in rice prices has led to high profits for rice sellers, as you may expect. But we've also heard that stated interventions in the market has led has led to price drops for some commodities in North Korea's markets. And so, um, you know, North Korea, for example, ordered uh, the government ordered sugar distributors release their stocks into the market. Um, soybean oil uh, prices have also reportedly fallen after the state order distributors to increase their supply. And, you know, fuel prices have, have also begun to stabilize, and that's also likely to, you know, due to state intervention. Um, the shutdown of the border has also led to increases in prices for North Korea produced goods, such as tofu and soybean milk. As you can expect, you know, goods that, that were ported from China into North Korea in the past, those prices are, are definitely rising. All right, the, uh, the main item on the Daily NK site this morning was about the work at the tourism zone on the Kalma Peninsula in Wonsan uh, continuing, which you, you just mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, despite coronavirus fears and that people are working with hygiene masks on. Why is this construction project so urgent to North Korea? Yeah, so the deadline is fast approaching um, for for the construction. That's April 15th, which is, you know, incidentally, Kim Il-sung's birthday. One of the, the country's biggest tourism development projects, you know, the, 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 the tourist zone began construction soon after North Korean leader Kim Jong-un gained power in 2012. Kim has visited the site multiple times to monitor progress and has stressed that the, the you know, tourist zone will be a key to defy and overcome international sanctions. 
And, you know, indeed, the, the project has taken on new importance in 2020 uh, because, you know, North Korean leaders have linked development of the country's tourism industry with broader attempts at increasing the country's uh, kind of self-reliance. And, you know, those efforts are now uh, talked about, you know, in that, in that catchphrase, frontal breakthrough. But the, the, the project seems to have faced long delays, uh, mainly because of the lack of materials due to um, the very same international sanctions we've been talking about. And so sources have speculated that the, the project won't be finished until October. Yeah, of course. Then the question is, who the heck's going to go there under current conditions and sanctions? And, uh, you know, North Korea never had that many tourists to begin with. Uh, it's, it's not. A, and once on the long and bumpy bus ride from uh, from Pyongyang. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's not particularly, it's not the tropics. So you don't really have, uh, you're never really going to have that, that, that great degree of tourism going into the country. It's still, and will probably continue to be somewhat of a kind of a niche uh, tourism destination. Now, the New York Post uh, in mid-February reported that a North Korean official recently returned from China was shot dead for breaking quarantine conditions and visiting a local bathhouse. Is this a story that accords with what you've heard or read at Danian K? Yeah, so I saw that article. It was it was a little strangely sourced, but it appears it's based off of a Donga uh, Irbo article written by Ju uh, Songa. You know, he's a defector journalist, and the sources in North Korea. I don't think it's too strange to think that the incident could have happened. Uh, the man uh, in question appeared to have been pulled up in front of a firing squad, although it's not clear whether it was a public execution. Could have been killed as an example for others not to break quarantine. You know, public executions in North Korea have, you know, I've heard obviously become rare in recent years because of, of all the int- international tension they've gotten. Uh, but they, they stu- still do happen. How does Daily and Kang sort the wheat from the chaff in terms of information coming out of North Korea? And what do other media outlets, with the notable exception, of course, of NK News, uh, get wrong? Yeah, so good question. I mean, Daily and K has spent enormous time and effort to select and train its its stringers in China and North Korea and has done it as a nonprofit on, on somewhat of a shoestring budget. I mean, ultimately, I think the, the great litmus test is, is how well the reporting reflects realities on the ground. Just to take some recent stories, I mean, Daily and K correctly reported on North Korea's school closure due to the coronavirus a week or so before it made it into state media. Uh, last year revealed Kim Jong-un's visit to Samjian in October before anyone else, and has been ahead of the curve on a lot of news stories regarding the country's economy. So Daily K's recording, excuse me, reporting on the, the coronavirus situation is really an extension of its reporting on other issues. I mean, admittedly, the, the articles are not the final say and should be viewed with, you know, uh, reviewed critically. But that all being said, you know, Daily K's reporting provides insight into what I think we should we should really all know already. I mean, North Korea has been hit with a COVID-19 outbreak and, you know, provides the, you know, a real clear counter narrative to what the, the North Korean government is saying. I mean, as far as other news outlets, I think, you know, there's a need to pay more attention to reports from from Daily K and similarizations. I mean, there's a tendency, as you know, to kind of write off anonymously sourced reporting is just rumor. But, you know, news agencies the world over rely on anonymously sourced reporting all the time. And courage, I think, is a daily K report is taken seriously by many North Korea experts and observers. And that's really all all you can hope for. Does daily K have a rule of trying to have at least two anonymous sources before reporting something? Yeah, yeah. So we we generally work off that off that principle, right? Because that, that, that's uh, yeah, certainly what I understand as being a, a journalistic golden standard is, is two sources or more. Uh, we do sometimes see uh, in the, the sort of popular sensationalist press that one source 
and that an anonymous source can be enough to uh, to get a story off the ground. And often we find that these stories later on, you know, given the test of time, well, they don't stand that test. You know, they uh, they fall down. Exactly. And you know, I think that you know, North Korea, you know, Daily K reporting doesn't happen within a vacuum. It's it's done based off of you know the journalists. They're they're reading Rodong Shimbun. They're reading the state media, and they're talking to people on the ground. And you know, the the articles are really supposed to provide uh, just a little bit more insight. Obviously, you can quibble about the numbers, you can quibble about certain details, but you know, hopefully, what people are getting through through, through Dale and Kay is kind of a just, just some details that that might help you know increase understanding of what's happening on the ground. Now, some voices in South Korea are, are calling for a partial reopening of the Kaesong Industrial Complex so that North Korean workers can get in there and produce more masks, the hygiene masks. Would they, uh, would they be masks intended for the South Korean market because of a shortage here or, or masks for North Korea? Do you have any idea about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as face masks are concerned, North Korea, North Korea appears to have an ample supply of the common you know, everyday cotton masks used you know, generally prevent cold. You wear them in the winter. They may have a pr- shortage of hospital or medical masks because that seems to be the bulk of what's being imported under the radar over the border with China. And so, you know, a source told Dalian K uh, recently this week that the the regime is you know importing around hundred thousand face masks uh, once every ten days. Uh, but he did note that most of them go to disease control authorities and the elite. I'm not aware of any, you know, response from North Korea on the on the uh, the Gisong issue. I mean, hope maybe uh, have been that the, the, to use a crisis like this to bring about cooperation between the two Koreas. But my my knowledge is that the, the Moon administration doesn't seem to think it's it's possible, given that they state that there's you know there's realistic challenges to restarting the complex. Uh, finally, Rob, what could be some medium to long-term effects of this virus epidemic in North Korea? Uh, I remember the last time there was a panic in North Korea, it was about Ebola in late 2014, and that led to months of quarantine uh, and no travel between North Korea and the rest of the world. But that was during uh, the late fall and winter when act- travel and activity are normally slow anyway. Uh, now we're at the start of spring. Uh, it's a whole different situation, isn't it? Just recently, for example, I heard that the uh, the April annual Pyongyang Marathon has been cancelled. Maybe we'll see smaller um, festivities for Kim Il-sung's birthday on April 15th. What are you thinking? Well, I think just uh, on a more basic level, I mean, the negative impact on business activities and local markets and on trade between North Korea and China are probably two big areas. North Korea already has you know heavy restrictions on mobility inside the Korea, not to mention, of course, you know, on North Koreans trying to travel to and from the outside world. And I think the virus epidemic will only serve to increase restrictions, at least until you know the situation is resolved. And that could be a while in itself. Uh, you know, North Korea is still re- reeling from uh, you know African swine fever epidemic that wiped out its pig population, damage from from hurricanes, international sanctions, and of course, you know, tremendous levels of human rights abuse. So I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Rob Lawler. Give our listeners a last-minute plug for Damien Kay. Yeah. I mean, you can sign up for a weekly newsletter at our website, www.dailynk.com slash English. We also accept donations to help continue putting their work. You can head to our donations page on our website. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and also consider buying a subscription to nknews.org 
where you'll find the best and most up-to-date specialist journalism on all matters related to North Korea. Our thanks, as always, go to James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast and to Arius Dare, our post-recording producer genius, who will hopefully cut out the uh, Skype noises and dropouts, uh, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Costs involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund, for which we are extremely grateful. Thank you.